The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. How do you lose the presidency to the most unpopular presidential candidate of all time? Hillary Clinton, of course, has a book about what happened last November. It's called What Happened. And for comment, we turn to D.D. Guttenplan. He's the nation's editor-at-large. He covered the campaign for the nation, traveling all over the country, starting with the primaries. We reached him today at his home in London. Don, thanks for staying up late to talk to us. It's always good to be here, John. Well, in The Nation magazine, you called Hillary's book Clintonesque. What exactly did you mean by that? <laughs> well, I think I meant uh, slippery, twisty, uh, not very trustworthy, and full of special pleading. And by the way, I, I, I use that adjective because not so much to be fair, because Hillary is not a major league dissembler. She is blind to her own faults, but probably no more than anybody else. But Bill is a major league dissembler, and he's someone who deserves to have an adjective named after him. Hillary says over and over that uh, she takes responsibility for her loss. She knows she failed all of us who voted for her. She knows she failed everyone who needed her to win and yet, you say in The Nation, she has an ugly tendency, I'm quoting, to blame others for her own failings. Doesn't she say over and over that it's all her fault? Uh, she says often that it's her fault, but there are two parts of that. She says often that it's her fault, but then almost every time, within a page or two, sometimes within a sentence, she says, for, she says I did this, and I, take, and I take it, it's on me. But on the other hand, didn't I do particularly well given, <coughs> excuse me, given what I was up against? Or uh, I did this, and it's on me. But if you really look at it, it's on the media, or on, uh, you know, or on Bernie Sanders for talking about it, or it's on this or this. So she she takes she she takes the blame, but never the responsibility. So that's one part of it. And the other part of it is that the book has an odd title because it's what happened, which is, of course, what we would all like to know. How can, how can somebody lose to the least qualified person ever to run for president who was ahead in the polls um, and something that was supposed to be a slam dunk? But the book is really more what happened to me. Hmm. It's, not, it's not actually an answer about what, what happened. And uh, one of the things that she never talks about, for example... Uh, which is quite interesting. Her her uh, former pollster, Stan Greenberg, has a an article today in which he talks about. Sorry, her for, former pollster, Stan Greenberg, has an, or recently has an article in which he talks about um, malpractice, and I think that's a strong word to use about a presidential campaign, but warranted in this case. And uh, talks about the extent to which they they relied on their big data operation and therefore stopped doing things like polling in key states and stop paying attention to places like Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania, which were, of course, the states that ended up costing her the election. So you don't get a lot of either reflection or detail about what happened in the campaign, how she managed 
to lose what should have been a, a sure thing. What you do get is a lot of how it felt for her. But isn't that what people look for and want in a in a book from her? What was it like to be you when this happened and that happened? Well, I don't have any problem with people who want to know what it was like for her buying her book. I'm sure a lot of people are going to buy it for that reason. Yeah. And I, I don't think that... I don't think it's fair to criticize her for writing it, although you might ask her what she needs the money for or what she's going to do with the profits. I think that is a fair for someone who is so sanctimonious about wanting to do so much good in the world and who keeps quoting in the book the Methodist precept that you must do all the good you can. Well, you know, all the good you can doesn't necessarily include piling up millions of dollars in book sales. And uh, those who say, those her, of her critics say that doing all the good you can right now would mean when you go on Rachel Maddow, you should talk about Medicare for all and not be pitching your book. I wonder if you agree with that kind of criticism. No, I think if she's got a book to sell, <laughs> she should be allowed to sell it. An author but speaks. I, think, <laughs> I mean, I think there, there are two, again... People are legitimately angry because many of us, and I include myself, I voted for Hillary and I donated money to her campaign and I had a hand in drafting the nation's endorsement of her, but I didn't do any of that because I thought she was going to bring universal health care or solve inequality or do much about student debt. I just thought she wasn't going to be Donald Trump and she was going to appoint somebody other than Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. Yeah. And what the one thing that we were told by her campaign again and again and again, particularly in the primaries, particularly at the, those points when it seemed like Bernie Sanders was giving her a real race, was he is unelectable, whereas Hillary had competence. And, you know, the one thing that, that we were promised is that she would be able to beat Donald Trump. And it's the one thing she didn't deliver on. So I think people are understandably angry about that. But that's that's different from saying, you know, you shouldn't write a book. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to this blaming others thing. Um, isn't she right to blame James Comey for for transforming the campaign at the very end? Doesn't Nate Silver show that she was ahead up to that point and that this announcement about reopening the investigation of her emails uh, was the turning point uh, in where she went from being ahead to, to losing? Boy, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> I, mean, I think, you know, she, she lost by, what, 60-odd thousand votes. So, yeah. you know, of course, she could be right. It could have been James Comey, or it could have been her Goldman Sachs speeches, or it could have been her emails, or it could have been the fact that, you know, when Donald Trump uh, demonstrated time and time again that he was uh, a sexist pig who, who had no consideration for women, uh, that her role as the supportive spouse as Bill, of Bill Clinton kept her from speaking out as forcefully as another woman who wasn't similarly encumbered might have been able to. Um, you know, as for Nate Silver, well, he's a smart guy, so he ought to understand multivariable analysis. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm not saying that she doesn't have a case about Comey. Uh, she probably does. And, you know, I, as I write in The Nation, sexism and misogyny certainly played a role in an election this close. They might have cost her the election, too. But... My problem with Hillary is that she's often talking about the stacked deck, but she never complains about the stacked deck except when it's stacked against her. Mm -hmm. Well, and of course, there's a, 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 a another deeper question is, yes, it was a very close election, and she almost 
uh, got enough votes in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Ohio to put her over the top. And yes, she did win the popular vote by 3 million votes, but why was it close in the first place? It wasn't well, supposed right. to be and close. That's what goes to the malpractice question. Yeah. This is an election that should never have been close. And that, frankly, a, a, a candidate, pretty much any candidate who didn't have her enormous baggage train would have had a better run against Donald Trump. Let's. You mentioned the the speeches uh, to Goldman Sachs. This is something that she understand, or at least that she brings up in the book. Is something that she was blamed for uh, mishandling. That she gave the speeches in the first place. That she took such immense amounts of money to do it, and then she wouldn't release the the text. What What do you think is her understanding of why that was wrong? And do you, does she have the the correct understanding? Well, her understanding is. That- Excuse me. Her understanding is that it was bad optics or a bad optic. I believe that's the phrase she yeah. uses. So it's it's not that she did anything wrong. It's that it 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 looked bad, and of course she should have realized that it would have looked bad after 2008 to be seen cozying up to Wall Street for vast paydays. But you know that's as far as she goes with that, and she never talks about the way in which Bill's policies completely, you know. This, uh, destroyed Glass-Steagall and, and freed Wall Street to go on the kind of splurge that it crashed from in 2008. And she never talked about, uh, you know, the, the fact that nobody was, was sent to jail. I mean, the, part of the problem is that Hillary went, made lots of speeches, many of which I heard, and some of which were excellent, about what she wanted to do for people. But she never gave a sense for people who felt that they'd been shafted by the system, which was quite a lot of Americans by 2016, she never gave the sense that she was on their side. And the the question in this last election wasn't, what are you going to do for me? It's, which side are you on? Which side are you on? Well, of course, her view is that she's on the side of doing good, uh, doing good for middle-class Americans. And she had very detailed plans of all the good things she was going to do. Her website you know, had pages and pages of her, of her plans. Uh, you obviously well, have a different there's, idea. There's, you obviously there's, have there's a, a. There's a plaintive point in the book where she says, she she calls out this pollster Stan Greenberg by name and says he didn't. He he thinks she didn't talk about jobs enough, but she did. And here's a chart yeah. of, how, of word frequency in her speeches and how often she used the word jobs. Well. She did use jobs a lot, and she, but the thing is that people didn't believe her. They just didn't believe she cared. I mean, you know, this is, even in this book, which, where she's presumably trying to position herself as someone who has learned from what happened, she talks about deciding to run for president this time after spending the winter, New Year's, at the De Laurentiis estate in the Dominican Republic. I mean, how is somebody who's been laid off in Detroit, supposed to relate to that. Gee, I just checked in with Oscar De Laurentiis before this show to see how he was doing. You're not in touch with the De Laurentiis? You don't vacation? No, I'm, not and... on, I'm not on their list anymore. <laughs> no, not anymore. I think well, you we... know, John, we're, 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 we're in danger of doing something which is very easy to do with this book, which is to spend all our time arguing about what happened in the election. Yeah. That isn't really why the book matters, and it's not really, I think, why people are criticizing it. Because, you know, I think Hillary is perfectly entitled to tell her side of the story, and I think in terms of how, how it felt, she does a good job of telling it. 
But this is about where the country is going, and particularly where the Democratic Party is going. And Hillary was, for the last year and a half, the standard bearer of the corporate centrist wing of the Democratic Party. That's who brought her to power. That's who sided with her. That's who put their thumbs on the scale at the DNC, something she doesn't talk about in the book at all. Uh, and that's who's resisting, even now, things like you know endorsing uh, single-payer. And it's the, it's the fight over actual power, over who's going to decide which way the Democratic Party goes and what the Democratic Party stands for. And Hillary has made it clear that she has no intention of bowing out from those fights. You know, she started her, I forget what it's called, Together, Together, Together or something. Stronger like that. Together. That's it. <laughs> you know, she started her version of our revolution, our counter-revolution. Um, <laughs> Of course, what her defenders say is, look, yes, there was this divide between the Clinton supporters and, and the Bernie Sand the Bernie supporters, but but Hillary beat Bernie by two million votes in the Democratic primaries, and it you know she won fair and square. Then she beat Donald Trump by three million votes. So uh, so she must have been doing something that a lot of people liked. Well, she was doing something that a lot of people like, but, you know, those are two separate issues. The Democratic primaries are the Democratic primaries. And it's interesting that she complains about, you know, the rules and coverage when it comes to her and Trump, but she doesn't complain about it when it was all in her favor during the primaries. Um, and the other thing is that I guess you can take two views of this. And I think they're, they're both reasonable views. It's just that one of the, only one of them is my view. You can take the view that Hillary won more votes, so we should do the same thing again, but just push a little harder. Mm. Here in Britain, that's called the one more heave theory of politics, which is, you know, we almost got the ball over the goal line, so just all together push one more time. Don't do anything different. No need to engage in self-criticism, which would change our policies. We'll just push harder, and this time we'll win. And, you know, if that's what you think, then uh, you should sign up for, you know, our counter-revolution, and, um, and good, good luck to you. I mean, I think that uh, the Democrats lost what should have been an easy win, not because it was an easy election year, but because they were running against Donald Trump. It should have been an easy win, and they lost it because they failed to make clear to people who have been suffering for the last eight years that their policies were going to make any difference in their lives. Well, there was a big fight by the Bernie people. You covered it very closely to to uh, to make the Democratic platform uh, more more uh, more responsive to those issues and the needs of those people. Hillary did run on that platform. Um, it was the most progressive platform the Democratic Party has had. But you had, I mean, you know, as an example, you had. Hillary finally, after, after playing footsie with this for the whole campaign, finally coming out against TPP and saying, you know, that if she's elected, TPP will be undone. But then you have Tim Kaine and, uh, you know, others saying, well, actually, you know, we'll see when we get into office. Maybe she didn't mean it. I mean, you know, it was, yes, the, pro the platform was very progressive. But again, people didn't believe that Hillary would really do it. Yeah, I think that's true. People did not, and, and partly that was because Hillary didn't seem all that enthusiastic about it, it seemed to me anyway. Maybe I was just too much of a Bernie supporter, but it seemed like her heart was not in the platform. Am I being unfair? No, well, I mean, I think, look, her heart was in the platform 
to probably the same extent if that Bernie's heart was in campaigning for her, and he worked hard for her, and she mm-hmm. agreed to this platform. So I, I don't really see a point in relitigating that, except that if you like that platform and you like the movement that generated it, then you should be you know, in, in favor of the changes in the Democratic Party that opens it up, makes it more representative, you know, takes it out of the hands of consultants, uh, diminishes the 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 uh, impact of big money on 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 uh, on elections, all of those things, uh, and that is not the side that Hillary's been on. She's been consistently on the side of let's do what the big donors want us to do. One last thing that she thinks is important: the Russians. The Russians screwed around with our election in many ways, not just by hacking the DNC emails, but whatever it was that they did on Facebook, which we're just beginning to find out about now, and uh, don't don't we need to pay attention to that too? Oh, we do need to pay attention to that. I mean, look, I I think it's I think it's entirely plausible that the Russians have screwed around with our election, but I think that somebody who complained about, in the case of her emails, that everybody was quick to assume that where there was smoke, there was fire, without any real evidence, ought to be more careful about the difference between plausibility and proof. Yes, we need to pay close attention to what the Russians might have done, but so far, all we've seen is a lot of a lot of innuendo and suggestion. We haven't seen proof. We haven't seen, you know, forensic evidence that this server and this building that was that part of the Russian state apparatus had to do with this. That's that's the kind of stuff we haven't seen. The big question of the campaign. Don Guttenplan says, is, which side are you on? And that's what Hillary didn't understand about what happened. D.D. Guttenplan wrote about Hillary's book, What Happened, for thenation.com. Don, thanks for talking with us today. Thanks for having me, John.